0: I keep um, thinking about God is good and life is tough, and what does that mean for me? Um, you know, what's it like for people who don't have guitars and sound systems and iTunes? What's it like for people who don't have lots of resources and their situation is just bad? And that's why Jesus and his spirit become something that is, is the key to everything, because it doesn't need any technology. The spirit of Jesus doesn't need our systems. It just needs open hearts. And uh, as we've been thinking about God's goodness, there's, there is this constant clash, because so often people are saying, and we are saying, but if God is good, then why does this happen? and really the beginning of freedom is when we come to terms with the fact that we don't know why things happen all the time and the beginning of freedom is also when we trust that god has my my life in his hands whatever happens and that there's mystery and the only way i know how to deal with it is i is to begin to say what shadrach Meshach and Abednego said, if, if we go into this fiery furnace and we die, God is good. And he, he said, they just said, we will believe in God, we'll trust in God. And if we don't die, he is good. And, you know, over the years as you deal with people with suffering and you deal with the resurrection and say, what did Jesus accomplish in the resurrection apart from forgiveness of sin and the uh, opening up of communication with God the Father... He accomplished relationship restored so that we might know the presence of God on earth. And the presence of God on earth in us should change everything. But we have this battle going on in us because our bodies are rooted in this place. That's why our bodies don't get to leave it. That's why they get cremated or buried. Because they're too polluted. But our bodies are the battlefield. For victory. The king, two kingdoms clash in our bodies. When the spirit is ignited by Jesus, it clashes with the spirit of darkness that is manifest in our desires and our wants and our selfishness and all that stuff. Our fallen nature. And eventually we come to the point where we start saying this fallen nature and this body that craves and all my issues are incredibly draining on my life. And so if I drink from that well, I never seem to get anywhere. And if I drink from the well of my spirit where Jesus lives and where he begins to pour out life, things seem to change. I mean, you can drink from the well of love and you can go through sex and you can go through relationships and you go through addictions. It just pulls you down and down and down and down. There are testimonies all over this country. And You drink from the spirit of God's love that starts saying, I love you. And out of that place start living life of love. Be- change begins to happen. And we need courage to, uh, and, and we need encouragement uh, to, to go after the things that bring life. And I don't think you come to that place of desperation until you realize just what you are without God. I mean, do you know what you are without God? No, no, don't give me the religious answer. I'm talking, you know, you're not going to shout out what I'm asking you because it's too embarrassing. What you are without God could be all kinds of ugly stuff that you don't want to shout out. <laughs> you want to shout? I'm, I'm listening. What are you without God? Tell me the real deal here, you know. I mean, it's not probably ugly addiction, perversions, pornography. You can ha- name all the sins, they probably here in spades. I know what I'm like without God. I know what I'm capable of. And unless we actually know that, we don't go, Jesus, I need you because I know what I'm like without you. And you see, that was the core, I believe, the, the core, the bedrock of Saul's life, Paul's life, was he knew what he was like. And he knew what he had become. And when you know what you're like without, you might be terribly afraid of going back to that. So you press in to the one who can keep you from it. And just looking at uh, Paul's confidence, because we want to ask God to, to just eliminate fear as it captures us, captivates us, causes us to be paralyzed. In God's kingdom, guess what? You can make mistakes. He's not performance driven. If he was, he would never use you or me. And as I was listening to somebody the other day, they said, God doesn't want to use you anyway. That's a good point. He said, God doesn't want to use you. You're not a toy and you're not a machine. He wants you actually to be his child. And out of a love relationship with him, he would like to pour out his love into others. He doesn't want to use you He wants to have a relationship through you. And he doesn't want to be used either. He doesn't want to be this little magic formula that gives me what I want so my life can be selfishly indulgent. And so Paul, in Acts 22, I'm just going to sort of wander through this uh, chapter. Because what Paul represents to me in, in this little talk about God's goodness is a man living with courage and conviction in a world that was very hostile. And a man who didn't get the rewards for his ministry that lent up you know, a luxury palace on the side of Galilee or a nice holiday house anywhere. With you know six weeks off and all the rest of the things. He didn't end up with any of the trappings of success at all. The only chains he had were not gold ones. The only rings he had was what was going on in his ears as they smacked him around. I'm not saying that's what God wants for everybody. I am saying it's interesting that in the first few centuries, so many ended up in suffering. And they needn't have because they could have just said, Caesar, laws cross my fingers, I follow Jesus. And I don't think our battles in this country are going to be won for Jesus without some laying down of life. I don't think we're going to see Jesus lifted high and his name honored without the Christians actually learning how to give up something, how to lay down stuff. I don't think it's going to happen, you know, just on a sort of casual basis. I think it's going to demand something. But it When you read Paul, you never get the feeling that he's actually particularly bothered about what he's doing. You don't get the feeling that he's um, going, because if I was writing like Paul, I'd be saying, I just want you to know how much I'm suffering and, you know, I'm a big martyr and I complain about my circumstances. And Paul doesn't. And so you have Paul, he's... Let let me go back to what I meant to say. Actually, the th- the reality is, I'm not quite sure what I meant to say. He's in a he's a, he's basically on a farewell tour, almost if you would call it that. Except nobody wants him to leave. He goes to Ephesus, and he and he spends some time there. And you see the 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 love that they have for each other. You know how I lived the whole time I was with you from the first day I came into the province of Asia. I served the Lord with great humility, with tears, in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. You know, it's a hard thing when you, you know, because that was the equivalent of the Christian church of our day. It's hard when you, you serve amongst people who are called believers and they're the ones who kill you. In the name of God. That's what Paul was dealing with. He was a deeply committed Jew. And he believed passionately some things. And when he passionately was converted, he wanted desperately for them to see. And instead there was this animosity that grew up. Because religion doesn't like to be challenged. Because it's about men's power. And in all of these big pictures, you get the microcosm of our lives. What does that mean? It means just as the religious people didn't want it to be changed, so our habit patterns and other things that we hold dear, we don't like to be challenged. And so we will violently oppose things when in fact God is speaking. And so he, he says, You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. And I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that you must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And then he says, and now compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. The Holy Spirit has shown me that everywhere I go, there's going to be hardship." An imprisonment, job description. Please apply. What that would be—that be like? If you got a note in the in, in your mailbox as you went home tonight and said the rest of your life is going to be imprisonment and hardship for the sake of Jesus, your escape is just to deny Him, or is to never speak publicly about Him again. I wonder how many of us would actually look at that and say, I don't know. Think about it. Because what we're thinking about is purpose in life. Paul had a very clear sense of his identity and a clear sense of his purpose and a clear sense of his mission. And after his conversion, he said, My life is for Jesus. And he spent 14 years having that tested and his character built up for the public ministry that was to follow. What's your purpose? What's your mission? What's your life all about? What makes you get up in the morning? Not trying to. I'm really not going into any guilt-inducing. If you get guilt, that's your issue, all right? It's probably from God, so suck it up and deal with it. <laughs> you know, like we all have to. You can't mess with... You can't follow Jesus and not go through times of challenge. You can't follow Jesus and sometimes go, Oh God, I didn't sign up for this. You just can't do it. If, you, if you've never had to do that, you know, hit yourself on the head... You're probably not following Jesus. You're just following an imaginary friend. Because Jesus isn't like us. And his ways are not our ways. So there will be times when he says, are you coming or not? And you know, he never hangs around. He just walks. So suddenly we wake up one morning. Where's Jesus? And he's, well, he's miles away. We've got to catch up. Because we were praying about it. And while we were praying about it, he said, you didn't need to pray. I'd already told you, come. you praying about it just meant you didn't want to do it. What is your mission? What's your life purpose? What's the reason for you being on planet Earth right now, do you think? Don't give me the religious answer. Give it to yourself. Because once you settle what your life is about, it will help you determine where you're going and how you're going to get there and what it's all about. Once you determine why you're meant to be alive and where you're going, it'll help you to align everything you do with that purpose. And there is only one purpose. The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace is actually given to all human beings. And nobody is called into full-time ministry. Everyone is called into full-time servanthood. Everyone is called. There's no such thing as secular and sacred. It's all following Jesus, period. What you do is just your job description. As somebody else said, what you do, we just get our paychecks from different places, but we all follow Jesus. And Paul had sorted that out. He settled that. He settled the sense of, this is what I'm about. And we only get confusion when we're trying to Balance things. I got a picture this morning as I was saying, Lord, what do you want to say to your church today? And I, I got this picture of a penny farthing bicycle. And a penny farthing bicycle is a big wheel and a tiny little wheel. And I, I read a little bit about. It, and they said when they went, you know, went riding down the road, they would fall off all the time. People were killed falling off these things because they took some of the vibration off, but they were pretty dangerous. And it seemed as God just, just saying, you know. I'm calling my people to, to, to more of a balance. Um, what is it that occupies your life? What's the big wheel? What's the thing that you invest all your time And then what's? Where am I in that? It's not guilty. It's just again saying, consider these things. And Paul, as he was going, said, I only know that in every city the Spirit warns me that prison and hardship are facing me, but I consider my, li- my life worth nothing. I remember doing advertising years ago as a as a 20 year old uh, working in an advertising firm because I was going to be an advertising executive, which was quite a cool sort of prospect. It was working in you know quite a prestigious advertising firm in Cape Town, and you, uh, the advertising executives buzzed around between the clients and the uh, the accounts. And the biggest accounts I stayed and watched them record was Rothmans of Mall and uh, Johnny Walker Whiskey. And I felt I thought to myself, as a very sort of immature Christian, how can I spend my life creatively working out how to get you to smoke and drink? Because I actually liked the possibility of the creativity and the working with people and the art and stuff. That was actually quite appealing to me. But the products were was where it fell apart because it was like, how can I do this? And I guess we want to just keep on saying, Lord, what is your call on my life? Because we've already established there's no retirement. So what is my call on my life? And we'll read later, Paul says, I want to finish strongly. And I just call you up into something. I call you to question. I call you to continue to question God and be excited about. He has things for you now and in the future that are going to demand courage and commitment and conviction. And you live in the country that's the most persecuted. This is one of the highest persecution countries in the world. Do you know that? Because they persecute you with comfort and apathy. Persecute you with options. Persecute you with variety. Persecute you with affluence. You're the most one of the most persecuted countries in the world. much easier to be a Christian in Africa because there's not that much there. I'm not speaking with any guilt. I'm merely just saying this is a difficult country. Lord, give me eyes to see and ears to hear. Give me an appetite that is not satisfied by the nonsense in our culture that's hungry for something more authentic. And then, Father, make me somebody who's like bread and water to those around me, so that when they taste and see, they say, what is it? Because in this affluent world, I have nothing. That's what I want. And Paul inspires me to say, my life needs to count for something. And Paul speaks to these Ephesians as he's leaving them, and he says, now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know how these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. Wherever Paul went, he said, how can I help? He was a tent maker, so he could use his trade. But he was always there saying, how can I help? What can I do? Astonishing man. And I'm absolutely convinced. If he walked in here now, you'd go, "You Paul," because apparently he was ugly, beak-nosed, and sort of wandered around. And they said he was nothing much until he spoke. Until you were in his presence, and then the outward moved melted. His authority, his conviction, his passion. In everything I did, I showed you by this kind of hard work that we must help the weak, remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Then you have this touching moment. Paul finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed, and they wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What, they, what grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again, and they accompanied him to the shift. And this happened again and again. This moving through churches that he had planted, lives that he had touched, time he had spent, and then he just kept on leaving them because he was heading to Jerusalem, leaving them, heading to Jerusalem. was a man upon whom God's favor rested, but it sure didn't look like it in the sense of he was just absolutely resolute, this is what I have to do. And they crossed over, you read in Acts 21, they cross over and uh, we talked last week about how he comes to he, he comes to where did he come to he, he was uh, in Caesarea and this prophetic word comes up and they says your hands are going to be you know they belt bound his hands with his belt and said uh, you're going to face face more persecution and he goes I know that already but uh, and guess what they did I mean you're going to face more persecution and everybody said that can't be God you shouldn't listen to it and Paul said no it is God. When they heard this, we and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. Paul answered, Why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And when he would not be dissuaded, they gave up and said, The Lord's will be done. Which is a really cool testimony, yeah? Ah, the Lord's will be done. Darn it anyway. And he said, No, Jesus went to Jerusalem. Why shouldn't I go to Jerusalem? He hung on a cross for me. Why shouldn't I go and face whatever face? He was free. Because he said, if I don't go, I'll be miserable. If I don't go, I'll never be happy. I count it all joy to serve him. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. My life's work is settled. This is where I'm going. And so off he goes. He doesn't know yet. If if those prophets had got their way and he hadn't gone to Jerusalem, we might not have half his letters. Out of the fire came the beautiful stuff that he wouldn't have known was going to be. God didn't say to him, Paul, I want you to write the New Testament. He wouldn't have known what the New Testament was. God doesn't always declare his hand because he doesn't want to distort our opinions of things. But he just says, in who you are and as I work through you, I will do more than accomplish more than you can ask or imagine. You have no idea what might be possible. What might be affected and impacted through your own life and your own obedience that doesn't look very spectacular at the time. It's like the person who gave an interview about teaching Sunday school and how they were so faithful to do that. And then at the end it was, and I was the one who taught Billy Graham. You never know. And so Paul goes through these arrests. He goes through violence. The people are stirred up. And you just read through Acts 21. It sort of never seems to end. But I want to just touch on this phrase that just captivated me when, when they, he was going to speak to the people and give a defense for himself. And he said, I'm a Jew from Tarsus and Cilicia, a citizen of no ordinary city. I think again you get a, a sense of Paul's confidence I'm a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, and I'm not subject in the way that you think I am. So, I follow one who is greater. And he stands up and he speaks to the crowd, and he speaks about his conversion. He speaks about his encounter with Jesus. And again again, and again, read chapter 22. He speaks about what he used to be. And one of the hallmarks of somebody who's been set free is they're not ashamed to declare what they used to be. I don't boast about what I used to be, but I declare it to show how much God has touched my life. If I don't share with you my brokenness, and I don't share with you where I've gone wrong, Jesus can't be glorified by who I am. If I don't have the humility to declare the dark side of me, then why should I declare anything else? And people will come to know Jesus when they see the reality and integrity of both. I hope you're free to share your journey. I hope you're free not not to try and convert people, but just to walk alongside them and share your journey, because that's what Paul did. In the moment where he could influence people, he told them the story of his journey encounter or God's encounter with him. And they were fine with that until he came to the point where he said, he spoke about he he oversaw the the death of of Stephen as a martyr. He gave permission for Stephen to be killed. I stood there giving my approval and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. He's been healed, you see. He doesn't have to sit in shame. He declares what he was capable of. I was so passionately religious that I killed some of the first Christians who were the bravest men and people who had been with Jesus. In my sincere misguidedness, I killed them. Do you know what you're capable of? Do you know yourself? Do you own your stuff? Do you know just who you are without Jesus? I hope you do. Do you know what it's like not to come under condemnation, but to actually say, thank you, Jesus, that you've rescued me from that and that you are rescuing me? Are you trying to hold two together? you Are trying to be this on Sunday and this on Saturday and this on Monday? You can't. You've got to decide for Jesus, for or against all or nothing And then he says this and he says then the lord said to me go and i will send you far away to the gentiles he could have left that out It was that phrase that got them mad because he was speaking to some a core passionate hatred of theirs and that was the gentiles are not included in the messianic promises They're not included in Israel And Paul had the courage to complete his message. This is what God has shown me. This is what God has done for me. And this is where God is sending me. And when I tell you where he's sending me, you're going to kill me. We have to be willing to declare the whole of God's truth. And the crowd listening raised their voices. And then they began to shout. And then they began to want to tear him apart. And that's when we had that encounter where the commander came up and said, Paul's stretched out to be flogged. And he says, so you can do this? To a Roman citizen, he knows very well he can't. He claims his citizenship. But I think in that there's an authority and a confidence that's got a spiritual dynamic too. When you're talking about your home and you're talking about demonic, you just go, do you know who you are in Jesus? Do you know who Jesus is in you? You have enormous authority. And if you don't know your authority and you don't know your identity, you will be flogged. You will go through unnecessary beatings. Because in the name of Jesus you can rise up and say, this is who I am. And one of Satan's tactics is to continually attack us with all manner of things. You need to know your bodies. And I mean by that you need to know your cravings. You need to know the things that seduce you. You need to know the things that take you out. You need to know the things that tire you out. You need to know the things that capture you, that little foxes in the vineyards. You need to know the things that will ultimately pull you down. They will usually start as small innocent things and they just grow. You, You know the patterns. Don't come under condemnation. Just understand that that's what God wants to relieve you of and release you of. You will never find Jesus in victory in your body. Your body will always fight the kingdom. The spirit is what brings freedom. And the best way to to find victory is to take hold of Jesus and let him take hold of you and to build his presence in your life. It will build strength to overcome the stuff that you find difficult. If you try and resist on your own the things that you find difficult, you'll just become absorbed with that battle. Does that make sense? That song we sang, I am am strong when I am on your shoulders. Get on Jesus' shoulders and stay there. Let him be your strength. Let him be your purpose. Let him be your victory. Let him be your passion. Share your life with him. Identity, purpose and mission is what Paul was about. So he resolutely went forward to Jerusalem. And out of those imprisonments he wrote these passionate letters that are so full of life that he says, I just long for you to know Jesus. I love his freedom. How free are you? Are you guys free? Scale of one to ten, how free are you? How do you feel? How free do you feel? Well, I I want to be like you then, because Jesus obviously is doing a wonderful job. You know, there's an element where you are completely free in theory, but our salvation needs to be worked out with fear and trembling. So, in Jesus, I am free. I am being sanctified. I will be sanctified. You know, there's the, the now and the not yet stuff. So, we live in these two kingdoms. But what God wants us to do and what Jesus will do in us, he'll make us more and more discontent with this kingdom. And the things we thought would satisfy, I know it's a cliche, just begin to be not satisfying. And ultimately, when you've tasted life with Jesus, you do get to the place where you go, there's nothing else worth it. There's nothing else that brings life. There's nothing else that sort of satisfies. And we each have to discover that ourselves because we all argue about it. We all have our pet thing. Well, it's easy for you, but if... And then you fill in the blank. If I was married. If I wasn't married. If I had children. If I didn't have children. You just fill in the if because everyone has them. And eventually you start saying, Lord, I give up. And that's an ongoing thing. So the good news is that your life is going to be filled with all kinds of unexpected turmoil. And the good news is that Jesus is going to be with you in the midst of it. And the good news is that as you are in the midst of it, Jesus says, how can I be for you what you could... I'm sounding like Graham Cook now because I'm hearing him. How can I be for you today what I couldn't be for you at any other time? And what if I stop saying, Lord, get me out of this, and I start saying, Lord, grow me up through this. Lord, I want boldness and courage to be part of my testimony. I want to live a life that is solid and doesn't go up and down all the time. I want to just say, thank you that you're alive in me and that you have given me all I need to go through this. The problem is that what has to get crucified is the control freak in us. You just have to let that go and become a servant and a follower of Jesus and then step into things and you can make mistakes. God doesn't have a perfect plan for your life. He's not a control freak. He's got a perfect relationship for your life and He says, let's see where we go together. and Paul had his purpose and his mission set out and that's where he went and i just encourage us to say what is your purpose and mission i know my purpose and mission is that god i want you to i want to, you to redeem and live a life for the rest of my life that boasts about who you are i want to die proclaiming who you are and i want to live proclaiming who you are and i want to serve you I want to make up for the nonsense of the ten years that I fell apart, but I want that to be the root, the sort of manure, if you like, for the rest of my life. So I want to go out swinging, and I want to beat up Satan every bit of the way. I want to be strong. And I'm not talking about strong in a massacre. I'm, I'm talking about just being strong in his spirit. And I don't know what that means, but I just know that that is life. And so I just uh, encourage you to say, you know, you can make decisions in your heart and say, Lord, I want my life to count. Some people live for retirement. I'm not getting at retirement. I'm just saying some people do. That's their goal in life. If I can just make it through a few more years. Cheryl and I are discussing that because she's got one more year and then she can get a pension. But we're also looking at maybe we should try and take over this Brim coffee shop and see if it can work. And you go, oh, I don't know about that. So why don't we take a risk? Let's see. I don't know. Let's not live chicken, let's not live afraid, let's not live waiting for the Canadian pension plan to look after me. Let me trust God and say, I'm going to be as faithful as I can, but I don't want to live under that kind of restriction. But what happens if you have to sell your house? So what? We'll sell a house. We'll live down in the trailer park. I'm not, it's not about being irresponsible, it's just about saying, God, there's got to be more to life. So if you want to come alive, start throwing down the gauntlet and saying, Father, here I am. Stand up. Let's throw down the gauntlet. Or sit down and chicken out. I don't care. I know where I'm going. I want to provoke you.